In therapy and in music, the baseline informs where we go to next. This is the show that examines the present state of music therapy and asks, where to from here? Welcome to Baselines with Joe Thompson. This podcast was made on the lands of the Darug people. Anne Lehman Kewitt is an experienced Nordoff Robbins music therapist, lecturer, guitar teacher, performer, and community event organizer. She is passionate about giving people of all ages opportunities to ignite their expressive confidence. Anne lectures at Western Sydney University in the Master of Creative Music Therapy program and lectures in the undergraduate music degree course at University of Wollongong. Anne is a senior music therapist at the Wollongong Conservatorium of Music, where she also teaches classical guitar. Anne coordinates Jam and Bread, an intergenerational series of free musical community gatherings featuring musicians from different cultural backgrounds, runs folk school at the Illawarra Folk Festival, and is artistic director of Kids Fest Shell Harbour, a free week-long festival for children, their families, and carers. She is currently completing an arts-based Master of Research exploring neurodiversity, song creation, expressive confidence, and mental health, which is the topic of our conversation today. Before we jump into the interview, though, I just want to say thank you to the people who have reached out recently to express their appreciation of the podcast. Getting this feedback makes all the difference. So if you're someone who is enjoying listening, please let me know. And leaving a rating and a review always really helps as well. And welcome to Baselines. Thanks so much for your time. Um, maybe could you just start by briefly introducing yourself and outlining what a normal week looks like for you? Oh, sure. So I'm Anne Lehman Kewitt and I'm a Wollongong-based music therapist. Um, and I'm doing most of my music therapy work at the moment from the Wollongong Conservatorium of Music, which is a regional conservatorium with children and adults and got quite a few clients who are non-verbal and some who are incredibly creative and musical and then I've got a few groups that I run as well so I've got a rock group that I've been working with for 15 years called the Rockers and they are um, loud and expressive and fabulous and I do very little. I basically do lots of live feeds to their Facebook page and I'm almost like more of a promoter in the role that I take as a music therapist. And then I'm also teaching at Western Sydney University, so I'm doing that three days a week um, and I'm caring for my dad who's got um, primary progressive aphasia, so I'm a live-in carer, living in his home. With my family, I've got a twelve-year-old daughter and a and a, a husband who's very um, very kind and obliging to do this journey with me. And then I, uh, on the side, just run a children's festival and I run a multicultural music um, program called Jam and Bread. And I'm also just trying to throw in a research masters as well. So I have a fairly dynamic week. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to particularly talk about that research work that you're doing at the moment, even though. So much of your work is particularly fascinating and interesting. Um, so what led you to want to do this particular research project? So I'm 
researching song creation and um and that is where uh songs kind of emerge from improvisation so you've got um lyrics music form structure kind of harmony and and the 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 client is often leading that so like a song kind of emerges which is a little bit different from songwriting which can be broken down into steps a little bit more my feeling is that you get a very different song if you approach from this kind of song creation perspective rather than writing it because it just more i think more um i think it can have more depth and more uh more sophisticated melodies and chord progressions and and structures kind of often will emerge what i did was i reconnected with music therapy participants who i worked with when they were kids and we did a cd project as they were graduating from primary school so this was an autism specific school and um we made a cd with the participants who had been doing group music therapy for some of them for their whole time at school so they'd had seven years of weekly music therapy um some of them came to the school a bit later um and we did half hour group sessions six children in each class with a music therapist and co-therapist and we'd kind of change those roles around um and we also had a teacher and a teacher's aide so very supported um kind of environment and we focused on um we focused on allowing space for the kids to come up with their own musical ideas and that kind of had become a focus of our sessions so we had these wonderful recordings that the kids had made and and they were remarkable so each child was given um space over a couple of weeks to have an individual session with us we had a whole bunch of instruments and we just said do whatever you like this is for a cd um and then um so some of the the songs that came out just um you know um blew us away like i thought they were songs from the radio but they had songs that just kind of came out of their heads and they hadn't shared them with anyone some of them just emerged in the moment and they said so much about their experience through these songs and i and my feeling was that 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 this is a story that i'm not really hearing in research i'm not hearing the participants kind of strength based accounts of of themselves and so i think it's quite remarkable so i was really interested in seeing um yeah just seeing their experience of what that was like for them and so my aim was to reconnect with between 1 and 3 participants um and so originally i was going to invite them for a zoom interview and i got no responses because <laughs> funnily enough people don't want to do zoom interviews who would have thunk it and then there was some great research that Grace Thompson and a bunch of other people did that looked about um having um autism um uh uh friendly research which involved lots of active music making so then i um re um i redid my ethics application to make it about the music making and then i invited people to be part of a reunion music jam and to make it a little bit more interesting i i got some celebrities involved so um the lead singer of um inxs who is the most current singer before they disbanded kieran gribben he lives down the road and i i met him at a gig um supporting him and so i asked him to be involved and then there was another musician called michael mooney who's done a lot of um amazing work as well and he's been a producer working in canada for like 
a, a decade or so, so I got both of them involved. So it became quite an exciting um, thing to be part of, and then I was able to get two participants who agreed to be part of the project. So the song creation helpful because it's less structured than um, songwriting, and so you get a more creative response. But I can also imagine it being intimidating. So do you think that's why maybe people shy away from using it a bit more? And was that your experience at all, or do you find it um, easier to work with? If you can create a safe space, um, like and a musically supported space where anything, there is no right or wrong response, and if that space is created, then song creation um, is more accessible for people, and particularly for neurodivergent people. Um, rather than separating songs into sections. So, um, so that's kind of been my, my intuitive feeling and my way of working. Um, where instead of saying, do you want to write a song? Which, like for 99% of people, the answer is no, I do not want to write a song. <laughs> um, that sounds terrifying. You, you just, you just kind of, you create the music and the music starts happening. And then there's kind of a flow that happens where, where their, 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 their melody matches the chords that you're doing and then they come up with an idea and you might support it and then they come up with more ideas. And, um, so it's, it's kind of supported, um, a flow, musical shared flow experience. I do definitely think that there's a lot of hesitation because it is so daunting, but it doesn't come out of nowhere. It comes out of a musical relationship. And when the musical relationship is there, it can, enable people to participate in a in a much more meaningful way so obviously the relationship is part of the creative process in song creation whereas songwriting can be a very solitary process often people are making songs up um, on their own all the time and they they're just singing as they're doing their their daily thing or as they're going for a walk um so there's often that kind of those moments i think what we're doing is just paying attention to those moments a little bit more um, and valuing those moments. So a, a lot of, of kids get told by their parents, oh, can you stop that annoying singing? You're singing all the time. Can you just be quiet? And it's the opposite of that. It's like, oh, oh I heard you sing it like that. Oh, I think that's in, in D. Oh, oh, what does it sound like? Oh, I love that. Oh, I love that refrain. I love that interval jump. And it's like, oh, those words work really well. So you're valuing that that little internal dialogue and you're giving space for it maybe there's some sort of um kind of value system just to say that these little um creative contributions that we all make as we're yeah doing the dishes or something uh, you could it's just the assumption that there's actually something worthwhile inside of that yeah absolutely um and and they little often they they're little micro flow moments so that's like a, a term where, where you're, you're using that as a way of regulating your emotions. You're making up that little song. It's exactly what you need in that moment to support you. There's a tool on tap that you can use um, that's just available to you at any point in time. Um, and in music therapy, we can help people um, gaining the confidence to use that tool. And then when we're doing it together with someone else, then we can feel supported and heard. Is that part of your research to find the therapeutic value of the uh, the spontaneous song creation? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so absolutely. But I'm, I think I'm kind of I'm framing it more as a resource, like it's a resource for individuals and how people use that resource. So, um, so autistic people are much less likely 
to um, access uh, um, counsellors, um, psychiatrists, engage in support structures. Um, um, and there's lots of obstacles for participation, but so they're the kind of they they have um, often some of the highest rates of of mental health need, but are less likely to be able to access those. So something like song creation, which is a little something that you carry with you <laughs> everywhere you go. My theory from my own personal experience and how I use music is it's really helpful. It was kind of like I had a hunch, this is what I use for me, and I identify as neurodivergent as well. So I'm kind of, you know, I'm, there, there's that space of this is something that I find works really well for me. Um, we've People have had this experience where they've had an opportunity to gain some confidence in this space. Is it helpful for them? Are they still using their own kind of expressive confidence um, to make up songs in the moment? Is that something they're doing? And that's kind of what we found out um, through the, the 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 jamming and talking about it. Um, and there seemed to be that that was exactly what was happening. So um, they weren't getting they weren't getting help. So one of the participants um, was diagnosed with post traumatic stress disorder, and he after the bushfires because he's a SES volunteer. Um, he had to shoot like a couple of head, hundred head of cattle, um, and he got diagnosed. And he said, "I'm going to do this on my own. I'm not going to get help." That was his natural kind of response. Um, and he he's a very creative person. He he um, he's got a drum kit. He he sings. He um, does a lot of crafts and sculpture. He's a welder, so he's using his own kind of way of expressing himself as part of his healing. Um, and the other participant likewise said that she sings songs and that's the only way that she shares her feelings. She doesn't talk to people about it. That's, that's basically it. So, so my hunch I feel was in that very small sample of two people <laughs> was, uh, was kind of like there was a, a bit of, um, I think there's a bit of space for that where, so as we work in music therapy, this is an opportunity to create something that people have as a tool. You don't necessarily need to have a piano with you or anything like that. You can just be driving or on the bus or something. And then using the little voice memo app on your phone, like just, you know, recording those little fragments. And um, so I, I wrote a poem on it. Can I, can I share my poem? Yeah, please. Um, it's called On Expressive Courage. We are worthy. Even the smallest fragment of song is an act of courage. Building a nest from fragments, musical collage, structure a form holding it safe. Does it need to be recorded? Does it need to be shared? If a tree falls in a forest and nobody hears it, did it fall? Mm, that's very profound. And I, and I can hear in the poem you wrestling with um, the reframing of something as fundamental as what the value of creativity is, that we have – this might be a tangent, but we have this particular view in our society that creativity is to be performed and to be um, acknowledged and to be put under a smoke machine and, and colourful lights on a stage. Um, but to let creativity be something that's purely personal um, for our own, not just enjoyment, but even well-being, um, I think is a pretty radical idea still in some ways. Yeah, absolutely. And people have this concept that, oh, I'm not creative. Or I've got no rhythm or I can't sing. All these, these things that people have been handed, they've been handed wounds and they carry the wounds and they tend to their wounds <laughs> over their life. Um, creativity is a muscle. Um, so it's kind of, um, 
yeah, I think it's just that that experience of um, it's not something that you have or you don't have. It's like if you use the muscle, you will have it um, and you will grow it. Uh, it's not – and it's just – and if it has value, you'll keep using it. Mm. And that muscle is different from technical skill, though that might grow in different ways as well. Um, it's the muscle of being expressive. And again, what's really interesting, like like watching my, my daughter, is is her intuitive musicality um, when she's kind of making up these songs in the moment. And from a really young age, like from four or so, she's been kind of you know making up these songs. And I follow her around with my 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 phone, recording every utterance that she makes. Um, but there's there's a musicality and there's a structure and there's a sophistication to it that she has had from a really young age, which is higher than mine after multiple degrees and, um, you know, uh, associated music and classical guitar and blah. She's, she's had it at a – she so it's naturally there. And so the concept is, is like we, we start off with creativity and um, free expression and then it gets cut down. So in music therapy, we're, um, we're providing a space where it can either get rebuilt or not cut down in the first place. <laughs> we'll be back to this conversation, but first a quick break. This episode of Baselines was sponsored by you. Baselines now has a Patreon site, which you can go to if you'd like to make a donation towards the show. While Baselines is something I do for the love of it, Each episode takes time to set up, record, and edit. But even the smallest contribution you make helps me to stay motivated to keep producing more content. If you'd like to keep hearing more conversations about music therapy, then you can find the link to my Patreon in the show description. Now, back to the conversation. Okay, so we were talking before about the content of your research, but it's also interesting the format that you're presenting the research in or that the research is taking and you're following something called arts-based research. Uh, Is that right? Could you outline that a little? So, yeah, arts-based research is something that's been kind of happening in music therapy for the last, you know, 20 to 30 years and it's kind of growing in popularity, particularly to uh, share the voices of people who um, are more difficult to reach. So engaging in arts practice is obviously a little bit more accessible than uh, um, an interview, for example. And also um, being able to include nonverbal communication, all of that stuff that kind of happens within music therapy and, and valuing those voices without me do, doing too much analysis of their voices and strengths, if that makes sense. I want to present it and give them a platform where, where they can use their words and say what's going on for them and then I can reflect on that mm-hmm. and how that um, how that impacts me and how that ties in with existing research and kind of frameworks like the neurodiversity framework, which is kind of a new way of, of um, looking at, at autism and other and other conditions like dyslexia and ADHD and bipolar and all this this kind of way it's like the brain is working in a different way there's no point comparing it to a neurotypical brain because it's never going to be a neurotypical brain and that doesn't help anybody so just celebrating strengths um and celebrating um you know ways of communicating that is really enriching for the participant so this means instead of submitting uh, a huge uh you know article in written format i still have to do that <laughs> but as well yes i'm embedding um sound soundtracks like the song creations that we made in the session 
and so we there was two two songs that kind of got created um one was a song that the participant made when he was 12 years old and then we remixed that and the second one was one that emerged from the session being able to be a part of research that's also accessible is significant yeah and that's the part that that, that i find at the arts based um a kind of approach so what what i've done is um, we we met and we played music for three hours and then I went and I and I reflected for three hours um, and and then I wrote like I think I wrote seven poems um, based on kind of my reflections of what what happened or what I perceived happening and what was happening for me and what I saw in them and and reflecting on that like it had been eleven years since we'd seen each other and then when we met again I shared those poems with them um, and, and that was. I think it's much more accessible than than here is my you know academic article um, that's broken down in, in that kind of tra- traditional format. Um, so so and what one of the participants said was um, like, well, what what you've done is you've turned our experiences into art. So that is my definition of arts based research. And because of course, when you're working with these sorts of populations, um, to be able to communicate the content of the findings is important so that uh, it's inclusive, but that barrier of academic language can be a barrier towards inclusion at that point. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think for, like, so knowledge transmission is is one of the main points of research. Like, how can you, how can you, you know, share your knowledge and how can that make an impact? Um, And so I think, like, like, even, like, for me, like, when I go to a conference and there is, there is music in the content and there's sharing of what's actually happening. I carry that with me often more than the statistical findings or the, um, because it, it's kind of, it, it's, it's heart, it's emotion. And I think when something touches you emotionally, that, um, often it has more impact in how you think about things. So we kind of like, we, we've got that integrating the, 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 the intellectual, um, and, and the emotional, and then your own prior history and how all of that goes and happens together. But I think when we include the music, obviously, which is why we all became music therapists, um, it, it, it kind of it has a more of an impact. And what I've found when I've um, presented my research and I've presented, you know, like the data and the recruitment and the findings and um, uh, and then I've included my poems, it's the poems that people have reacted to because it's it gives you a little space to step back and and see things in a different way um so so that's kind of so I, yeah i i feel that for me this has been a really helpful process of being able to kind of share my perspective and so there's a concept in in traditional research of arms length so you you try to distance yourself so you're not so you're not influencing the results um, and then so arts-based research and autoethnography and um, hermeneutic phenomenology, all these kind of approaches are saying we can't separate ourselves and actually our own experiences and our own lens is really valuable way of sharing data. So it's, it's kind of – but then you have to be really like um, explain what your lens is and be really clear about where you're coming from and, and what's influencing your position but it's more honest that way to actually acknowledge that, of course, we're all biased. Let's just be upfront with what those biases yeah, are. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think it's what I what I like, and it's similar to like that that Nordoff Robbins kind of approach is that we're 
we're going on a journey together with our clients. Um, and that what I, I like that about this kind of approach in research is, is they share their insights, I share my insights. We, we have like a, there's a bit of a mutuality there, which I think helps build trust in the, like in the relationship that you have in research. Um, and we're really kind of building on, on that relationship and a pre-existing relationship. Um, so I think it worked for this particular study. I think, I think I can't imagine doing it a different way. Yeah, yeah. No, it sounds fascinating. It's really interesting and hopefully more research in this format comes out too. Do you have a go-to therapy song that you like to use in your sessions? Generally speaking, my go-to is improvisational and and it's coming from the the you know the person that I'm there with. Um but I'm intuiting where I think they are at. So often I'm I'm you know providing a lot of the harmonic space even the melody even the words but it's kind of based on what i think is happening at that moment and then i'm trying to get as much engagement from the participant as possible if you could go back to when you were studying music therapy is there any advice that you'd give yourself then i think it's kind of i, I think i kind of worked it out around the time that i was studying but it's it's um like it's it's trying to not be not be uh, uh not be a music therapist be yourself um, and same with teaching, like not be a teacher, just be yourself. Because when I, if if I am myself and I am using my own lens and I'm sharing my experiences, including my, you know, my understanding of, of what music therapy is, then um, then it just, it, it does work better um, and not comparing myself to other people um, too much. Like particularly I, in my class, everyone was concert pianist grade and I'm a guitarist, like, you know, it's quite easy. And particularly when you've got the Paul Nordoff as your foundational, um, that that wasn't something that was accessible to me on the piano. Um, but I was able to um, do my own version of that primarily using guitar and also using piano. What is your favourite part of being a music therapist? Uh, entering other people's worlds, I think, um, and just the the joy of of being able to create a space where people are really enlivened. And, and there's there's um, something that I definitely experience where it's like vicarious joy. Like if someone else is having a great time, I have a great time. Um, so like if I'm at the beach and I see whales, that's great. But when I tell someone who hasn't noticed, that's even greater. So I think that like that vicarious sharing joy um so when, when other people are, are like, you can just see that they're just having such a great time or, or they're being able, they, they feel heard for the first time, that kind of really resonates with me. That's wonderful. I appreciate your time and your wisdom so much. So thanks for being on Baselines. Thank you, Joe. Thank you for listening to Baselines. If you enjoyed the show, please hit follow and leave a rating and a review. My single purpose for making this podcast is that it helps us the music therapists of today, to think clearly and carefully about what we do. I hope today's episode has given you something valuable to consider for your work and your practice.